uh, on uh, some aspect of the Christmas story. Uh, we've been uh, going through and on Sunday nights and Thursday nights teaching about different characters of the Christmas story, uh, the p- different people that when we think of the Christmas uh, story or see the manger scene. Of course, we've talked about Mary and Joseph. Uh, we talked about Herod. We talked about uh, the shepherds. talked about the angels. And so that pretty much just leaves us with a couple uh, uh, folks we can talk about that's left. Of course, uh, every message we talk about Jesus. Amen? And uh, that's a wonderful thing. And so uh, tonight uh, we're going to uh, close out and talk about... The the wise men. And uh, so if you find your place, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. Matthew chapter 2. If you find your place, uh, let's stand together. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. And uh, I'll read the account here of the wise men that the Bible gives us a description of. And uh, verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophet, And now Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And let's pray. Lord, we love you. I thank you, Lord, for just again the opportunity to be here tonight. Now, Lord, please speak to our hearts as we open your word. And, and uh, Lord, uh, our last opportunity uh, as we uh, celebrate uh, this time of year, as we open your word together and speak to us through it tonight. Pray that you teach us some spiritual truth. We love you and thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I probably have, uh, in the process of teaching the last few weeks, may have said uh, some things about the wise men. I don't remember exactly what I said, so if I repeat myself a little bit, uh, just remember this, repetition is the key to learning, amen? And so, uh, but uh, what do we know about the wise men? I know I'm pretty sure I said this to our young people in class, uh, but uh, the wise men uh, uh, sometimes uh, get uh, uh, misunderstood a little bit. First of all, and I think I've, I did say this, they were not at the manger scene, okay? And the reason we know that is because because what the Bible says, where they found the babe, where they found Mary and Joseph, the Bible says they found him in the house. And based upon the timeline, uh, Jesus was more than likely about two years old when they came and found him. Okay, so uh, he, uh, they weren't at the manger scene. Uh, also, there was more than likely more than three of them. Now, the reason everybody sings about three, we just sang it, all right, in the, in the first Noel, about those three wise men, is because of the gifts, okay? There was three gifts mentioned, uh, but uh, more than likely, there was an entourage of these wise men. And the reason we think we know that's true is because in 
notice it says here that when Herod the king had heard these things, what did he hear? He'd heard the fact that these these uh, wise men had come uh, to Jerusalem to worship him. And it says that when the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, you're not going to get real shook up if there's only about three people coming to, to you know, seek somebody. But if there is an entourage, there is a caravan, there are, truth be told, hundreds, if not even possibly up to a thousand or more people, well, that's going to, that, that's going to stir something up. And so uh, we see here that more than likely uh, there was a large entourage that came to uh, worship the, the, the babe. All right, so... Here's, the, here's what I'm going to entitle the Bible study tonight. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about different ways to, to, to preach about this. And i got a couple different messages I have about this. But here's the one I'm going to preach tonight entitled this, Being an Unwise Man. We always talk about being a wise man. Well, how about being an unwise man? Here's what the Bible says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. See then, ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. It's back there on our clock. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, you ready? Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So truth be told, folks, when it comes to our Christian lives, uh, we got we got some choices that, that we make. And, and there's, there, there are certain things that we are or are not based upon uh, how we do things, okay? And so wisdom is a choice and uh, based upon whether or not we choose to apply the principles of the Word of God. And so we know these men were wise men, so we're going to look at their life tonight and see what made them wise so that we cannot be unwise, okay? And so here we go. A man first of all is unwise when he fails to know and study the word of God. Now, where do we get that at? Okay, well, we know the Bible says it was a star that led the wise men to baby Jesus, but what was it that made them even look for a star in the eastern sky? How did the wise men know when and how to look a, for a sign for the, for, the, for the Messiah? It's because they as foreigners knew and were looking for, truth be told, what most all of the nation of Israel missed. By the way, you know what that was? The fact that it was prophesied in Scripture that there was going to come a Messiah. They no doubt read passages like Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. They knew passages like Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, where the Bible says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem to Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times and by the way you know that the, it was exactly prophesied from where the um, where it was given for the command for them to go back uh, to Jerusalem after the captivity how long it would be before the Messiah came that was prophesied to the T and you know what only people who understood the scripture knew what was going on uh, Matthew of course uh, chapter 2 it says, um, uh, uh, the verses we just read, and they said unto him, in Bethlehem, for thus it's written by the prophet. Think about that. The prophet prophesied where it was even going to be at, thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah. So you know what you find out what made these wise men wise? Was they uh, understood uh, the fact uh, that God's word proclaimed truth, and they studied that truth out and found it out for themselves. 
And folks, let me just say this, and I know I talk about it often, and I'm never going to stop talking about it, but it's important that as Christians, you know what? That we are not unwise by not knowing and studying the Word of God. By the way, the Bible says this, and Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And you know it's important for all of us Christians to study the Bible and to know the word of God. Now I'll just say this, when you read the word of God, and because it is God's word, you'll, you will get truth, what I call, you'll get gleaning truth. I mean, you can read a verse and get truth from that, no doubt about it. But but sometimes, and the way God set it up, He did so on purpose, that to really understand a lot of the truths of the Bible, it requires study. Amen? It requires comparing Scripture with Scripture. And that's where a lot of false doctrine comes about, is because people want to pull a verse here and a pull a verse there out of context, and they don't compare Scripture with Scripture, and they don't understand what the Bible is trying to say, what the Bible is trying to be taught. And so, all that being said, these wise men were wise because they understood and studied the Word of God. And let me just say this, you know what, if you're in the right kind of church, if you go to the type of church that encourages you to have a strong relationship with the Word of God. By the way, be wary of of any religious organization that tries to keep you out of the Word of God. Okay, they try to be the Word of God for you. By the way, there's mainstream denominations and, and religions out there that they, they, they don't want their people reading the Bible. They say, well, the Bible's too hard for you to understand. We'll interpret it for you. By the way, that's dangerous. Amen? Yep. All right? That's one of the uh, main things that the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, uh, why they're so messed up, because they allow the Watchtower Society to interpret Scripture for them. And they don't read it for what it is. And when they do read it, surprise, surprise, it's their translation of it. Amen? And it's not the true and tried Word of God. And so let me just say this. You know what? You are going to be wise if you as a Christian study and know the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 5, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. And so, folks, listen to me. I use this analogy all the time, and uh, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's a good analogy, okay? If all you're getting from the Word of God is what you get here when you come throughout the week, you're not getting enough. You're not getting enough. All right, now I'm going to feed it to you, amen? Uh, but you know what? I'm not going to force feed it to you. I'm just going to, I'm going to preach it, and you know what? You're going to decide what you're going to do with it. But here's the thing, all right? If you only ate two, three times a week, how healthy are you going to be? Now, would you die? Probably not, okay? You, you would get enough substance to make you, uh, I guess, still be alive, but you wouldn't be healthy for it. Your body wouldn't function properly for it. No, you know what you've got to do? You've got to feast daily, Amen? And so is with the Word of God. You need to be feasting daily on it. And so uh, you are a wise, considered wise if you do so. Number two, what else do we see about being an unwise person? A person is unwise when they neglect the worship of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says, verse 2. It says this, that here's the question the wise men ask, Where is he that is born, King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, if there's one word in the Bible that gets misinterpreted or, or, or mistaken, it's that word worship. By the way, you look that word up, you know what it means? It means this, it means to kiss like a dog. It means to lick the master's hand, to fawn, to crouch, to prostrate oneself in homage. Amen? That's what it's talking about. It's talking about 
being able to uh, 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 literally uh, humble yourself in the presence of deity. And you know what? Through your heart, through your song, through your prayer, give the praise that's due to His name. Amen? That's worship. And truth be told, folks, I know sometimes people call what happens here on Sunday a worship service. And I'm not saying that's a misinterpretation. But truth be told, true worship is usually done in private. It's usually done when you're away from people. Because I don't know about y'all, but when we're up here singing hymns on Sunday morning, okay, we're not flat on the floor doing so. Okay? No, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're singing out. We're standing. And, and I do believe that's a form of worship, but that is not true worship based upon the definition of the word. Psalms chapter 29, the Bible says this, Given to the Lord the glory due unto His name. By the way, you know what? His name is due of glory, amen? Just because of who He is and uh, what He's done and, 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 and what His name represents. Here's what it says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. By the way, you know what you're always going to find in the Scripture? What word is attached to worship? You know what it is? Holiness. Holiness. By the way, doesn't that just uh, smack in the face of the, of the liberal and, and carnal church's definition of worship? Okay, this ridiculousness that goes around today uh, that, you know, uh, people are, you know, can get the world's music doing what the world does, glorifying the flesh, calling it worship and thinking God's pleased with it. Let me tell you, there's some worshiping going on, all right, but it's not to the God of heaven. Oh, they may call him by his name, but you know what, folks? Just because you say something don't mean it's true, amen? Because let me tell you what you always find together in the Scripture, worship and holiness, amen? Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, Who shall not fear before thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art, guess what word? Holy, amen? It's almost always interconnected. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that, they, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now no doubt these wise men were busy. They were important men. They could have easily used this fact as an excuse for not coming to worship the newborn babe but you know what wise men put the right kind of things first and a man that is unwise is unwise when he lightly esteems the holy privilege of worshiping jesus christ by the way that's something every single one of us shouldn't be a stranger to amen did you spend time worshiping the uh, today you should have Amen. You should have spent time worshiping Him and praising Him and thanking Him. Surprise, surprise, the devil will do anything to keep people from worshiping God. In fact, you know what you find interesting as you chase it through the Scripture? There's a lot of things in the Scripture people would worship. By the way, the devil's okay with you worshiping anything except God. Okay? You know what you find out? And I don't have time to read all the verses, but I'll just give you the reference. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, they were worshiping false gods. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19, worshiping things in the heavens. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 20, worshiping animals in the earth. Jeremiah 44 verse 17, worshiping the queen of heaven. Daniel chapter 3 verse 5, worshiping idols. Revelation chapter 9 verse 20, worshiping devils. Revelation chapter 14 verse 11, worshiping the Antichrist. Matthew chapter 4 verse 9, worshiping, uh, at least Satan wanted worship for himself. 
Folks, let me just say this. The only one that's worthy of our worship is God alone. Amen? Amen. And by that, I mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when I pray, let me just say this. I pray to all three. Amen? I pray to all three. I pray uh, uh, with the help of the Spirit through Jesus Christ to the Father. All parts of the Godhead are involved in prayer. Amen? Let me tell you, they're also involved in worship. It's so important that we as Christians uh, do that, spend time worshiping God. Now, one of these days in heaven, guess what? We're all going to do it together. What a worship service it's going to be. Revelation uh, chapter... of uh, 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 six and or, or uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter four and five talk about that great worship service in heaven before we're all before the throne and we're fallen before Him and uh, and literally worshiping His name. Can could you imagine what that the the, the electricity that'll be in the air? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I know how excited I get when there's a handful of us here on Sundays and Thursdays singing God's praises and and uh, lifting up His name. And I mean, I know how 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 the Holy Spirit starts moving through me. Can you imagine when all the saints from all the ages are there doing it can you imagine what that's going to be like now here's what i always say and i think it's important don't wait to start worshiping god when you get to heaven amen don't wait don't wait till you get there to be the first time you worship him by the way we ought to spend time uh, in his presence worshiping him now amen let me tell you truth be told folks all right the only difference between our relationship with christ on earth and in heaven will be right now it's by faith then it's going to be by sight but you've already ought to have a great relationship with Jesus Christ before you get to heaven. You don't have to wait till you get there. Amen? And so wise men uh, worship Him and unwise men don't worship Him. Number three, a person is unwise when they fail to give gifts to Christ. Now these wise men, when they came, they came with purpose, they came to worship, but they also come bearing gifts. And of course, the Bible uh, gives us three specific gifts. Now, more than likely, there were other things, but there's three specific things named. By the way, that wasn't just some random gift they pulled out of their treasury to bring. All that meant something. By the way, folks, I think I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to take us probably on a Thursday night, and I'll do so in such a way to where I don't drag you down doing it. But I want you to see it because it's so powerful. I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament, and I'm going to show you the likeness of Christ in in things like the tabernacle and all that stuff in the tabernacle and what it all meant, what it all represented. And let me tell you something. God never did anything by accident. Everything, down to the very minute detail, was for a reason, for a purpose, because it all pointed to something very specific. Amen? And that had everything to do with His Son. Well, these gifts also represent things about Christ. For example, gold. Gold represented the fact that they recognized Him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. By the way, gold is always associated with, with the king. And uh, by the way, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, one of these days when he comes back, the Bible says he'll have on his head many crowns. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, they won't be made out of some cheap, flimsy plastic. I can tell you that. All right? They're going to be made from the finest gold of heaven. And by the way, I believe it's even a finer gold uh, than, than the paving material. Amen? And uh, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. But the gold represents the fact that he was king. Frankincense. You ever uh, understood what that was frankincense was used again in the old testament in sacrifices to make them smell good i mean think about it okay these animal sacrifices and uh, i mean you know that truth be told was a bloody mess sure it was 
Okay, these animals whose blood was shed was a representation of the one day coming Lamb of God whose blood would be shed for the sins of the world. But those animal sacrifices, their blood that was shed, and when they burnt those animals as an incense, I mean, you know, sometimes burnt flesh isn't the best smell in the world. Okay, I mean, now if you're putting it on your grill and you cook it right, it smells good. Okay, but when you're offering a sacrifice where it's being consumed, so you know what they put within those sacrifices was incense or particularly frankincense. And it was a part of the sacrifice that made it smell good. And frankincense was a sign that what Jesus Christ came to earth to do was well-pleasing to His Father. By the way, what was it that God the Father said at the baptism when Jesus was baptized from John? Remember remember what the God the Father said? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen? And so you know what? God was well pleased with what Jesus Christ was coming to do. And that frankincense was a picture of that. And then myrrh was used in the anointing of dead bodies for burial. Myrrh was kind of like an uh, embalming type uh, uh, thing that they would put again on bodies to make them smell good because obviously with death and decay, that's not a pleasant smell. And so myrrh was a sign of the death that Jesus would one day die for the sins of the world. And so all these gifts the wise men brought represented something. And folks, let me say this, God still deserves for us to give Him gifts today. He still deserves that. Now, he doesn't want the kind of gifts that you're probably thinking of, okay? He doesn't need a new pair of Nikes, all right? Uh, He doesn't need a new bike. He dead for sure doesn't need an Xbox, all right? That's not what he needs. He doesn't need new clothes. He doesn't need a new car. But what Jesus does need from us, and if we're wise, we'll bring him, are some things that he wants. How about this? He wants your heart, amen? He wants your heart. By the way, you know what? That's a gift that... He can receive only if you choose to give it. Because God has set it up in such a way, folks, where we have free will. And God works in tandem with our free will. By the way, because we're free agents to choose, you ever wondered wondered to yourself before, you know, if... If God was so powerful and, and God's all, all knowing and all that, why did God allow man to sin anyway? Why did God put that tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If God in His foreknowledge knew man would sin, why did God just not even put it there? Well, think about this for a minute, okay? If you think about it, it makes logical sense, okay? If there was no choice, if there was no sin, there would have been no choice, right? And think about this. If there's no choice, there's no way to prove love, so by having that tree in the garden, and Adam and Eve, for, for whatever time they lived there without eating from it, you know what they were saying to God by obeying God and not eating of it? God, we love you because we're obeying you. And they proved their love to God through their obedience. Now, folks, listen to me. Uh, God wants our hearts, and He works in tandem with our free will, but you must choose to give it to Him. Amen? So uh, uh, God wants our hearts. God wants people to be saved. How about this? God wants our time. Sure. By the way, time's the great equalizer. doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. Everybody has the same allotment of time. And by the way, God wants our time, and God is deserving of our time. He doesn't demand all of it, but you know what He does demand? The first part of it. Amen? He demands the first part of the week, which is His day. By the way, the Lord's day, as in possessive, as in Sunday belongs to Him. Right? Just like Saturday in the Old Testament was the day of rest, the Sabbath day. Well, when Jesus rose from the grave, it set the new precedence for the church age, and Sunday's the Lord's day. Amen? It belongs to Him. That means it's not yours, it's not mine, it's His. 
And he, and he deserves that for us to give that to him. Uh, he deserves a, a time that we as Christians ought to spend uh, serving him. Amen. And every Christian ought to be involved in some type of capacity of service to God. God demands man's time by wanting to spend the first part of, of our day with him. And by the way, again, the Bible sets that precedence. Early in the morning will I seek thee. You ought to give the first part of your day to God. Through His Word and through prayer, you ought to give it to Him. Amen? He deserves that. How about this? God wants the gift of our talents, the things He's given us and blessed us with. By the way, why do you think God gave you those things? He didn't give them so we could waste them on ourselves and waste them on the world. He gave them so we could use them to glorify and honor Him. Amen? And that's why I'm so thankful that our young people are learning different uh, uh, talents that, that, yes, I'm sure they can use in other aspects of life, but more, more, most important thing, they can use them to glorify and honor God. Amen? God wants our talents. How about this? God wants our will. God wants us to choose to make Him in our life uh, or make Him a priority in our life. By the way, God wants, how about this, parents? He wants our children. He wants our kids. By the way, you know what the Bible says about this? Think about this for a minute. I know we use the term, my kids. But truth be told, that's not biblically accurate. You know who they are? God's kids. The Bible says they are lent to us from the Lord. By the way, when we're raising children, you know who we're raising them for? Him. Amen? By the way, think about the analogy. It talks about, you know, everybody jokes about, oh, my quiver's full, my quiver's full. You know, the Bible talks about blessed man had his quiver full of them. Okay? Well, think about it for a minute. What's the point in an arrow? Does do no good in, in, in the quiver. No, you know where an arrow is made to do? It's made to be put in the bow and sent forth. Amen? Let me tell you, that's what God has allowed us as parents to do. He has, he has given us the privilege and opportunity of raising our children for His glory and honor. So you know what that means, parents? We better take that job seriously. Amen? We better figure out what the Bible has to say about raising kids, not what the latest self-help stupid uh, Dr. Phil book says about it, but what God says about it. Follow the Word of God, not the world's philosophy, because we're raising them for God. Amen? By the way, we got to walk guard around our homes, fathers, mothers, so that we can keep junk out that would influence them for the devil. Because as much as God wants our kids, the devil wants them too. And he's making a bid for them. I can guarantee you that. Amen? You, you're, you, the young people that go to this church, don't tell me the devil doesn't have a plan to try to, to try to steal from them what God wants them to give to him. Amen? And so listen, God wants that. How about this? The gift of our dreams. The gift of our dreams. Now, it's not wrong to have dreams. I think that's part of just being uh, who we are as human beings. Let me tell you what, what, what's amazing. And again, folks, it comes back to this, this, this idea and this, this belief that, that we trust God and know that God's plan is better than our own plans. Amen? And we give our dreams to Him. By the way, think about this. When you give God your dreams, God will take those dreams and make them into something far better than you could ever imagine they would be if, if you did it yourself. Far better. I mean, folks, listen. I mean, I, again, I, I talk about this because it's just, it's just part of my story. Amen? But I, I, I never would have imagined God doing what He was doing, uh, what He's doing here through White River Baptist Church. And truth be told, this wasn't even on necessarily my radar of what I thought God was going to have for me. I was pretty content where I was at, doing what I was doing. But God knew He wanted to take me to the next level. And in order for me to do that, you know what I had to do? I had to give up some things that... I thought was what I wanted for my life. By the way, what I was doing wasn't wrong. It wasn't bad. Amen? In fact, it was a, another capacity of service, but it wasn't exactly what God had for me. And truth be told, it was what He had for me for a time, but it was time for me to move on and fulfill His will for my life, not my will, not my dream. 
And by the way, you know what? It was hard a little bit to let that go. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was hard. It was hard to, you know, the, the home that my wife and I thought we were going to raise our kids at and that we had, you know, worked hard and, and made it our own, stick a for sale sign in the yard, having no idea where we were going to go. That was hard. But you know what? I, I, looking back now, I, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat over and over and over again. By the way, God didn't show us what was going to be in the future. He just said, make this one step of faith. He didn't show us what was going to be in the future. He just said, do this. And then once we did that, a little bit later, He said, do this, and then do this. And then before long, you keep doing this and doing this, and you get further down the path and look back and say, wow, God, you're exactly right. What your will for your, my life was way better than what I could have wanted. Amen? But you know what? You've got to trust Him. And young people, let me encourage you. And not just young people, all of us as adults. Now, I've probably told you this story before, but I'm going to close out with this. And uh, it's a cute little story that when I was in uh, elementary school, uh, we did a play on this story. And uh, we had a whole school play about this one particular story. In fact, I first heard this story when I was a kid. And uh, my aunt, my Aunt Tina, who is in heaven, and uh, she, uh, a precious, precious lady. Uh, but uh, she had this, this, this little cassette tape. And it was this cassette tape, kind of like Patch the Pirate before Patch the Pirate was really out there. And it was this, uh, it was called Ricky and Geraldine. And it was this lady who's a ventriloquist and her puppet was Ricky. And she would tell Bible stories and, and things of that sort for kids. It was just like a, a way for kids to learn the Bible and things like that. And I remember just, I don't even remember how old I was. I had to have been maybe, you know, six, seven, eight years old when I first heard this. And then later on, we did a play on it. Uh, and some of you have heard me tell it before. I'm going to tell it again. It's worth retelling. Amen. It's called The Story of the Three Little Trees. How many have heard me tell the story before? All right. Not very many. I'm surprised. All right. There you go. Amen. The Three Little Trees. All right. Now, these three little trees... Uh, set up on an Israeli hillside uh, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And these three little trees were uh, having a conversation. Now, of course, humor me a little bit, okay? All right? I know trees don't talk, but for our story, they do, okay? And why not? I mean, look at all these other stupid stories people come up with, okay? You know, vegetables in the Bible characters, really? You really want to be behind the guy at the judgment seat of Christ who turned Jesus into broccoli? Really? My goodness. What a, whatever they were thinking, I don't know. But anyway, all that to say, humor me, okay? Three little trees were up on the hillside talking. What their dreams were, what they wanted to be. One tree wanted to be a, a, a big ship uh, that he could uh, sail the seas on and, and carry important people like kings and, and uh, important people across the seas. One tree, uh, he wanted to be a throne, a throne that a, that a king would sit on and, and be an important throne that, uh, that, that someone important would rule from. And then the other little tree, you know what? He just wanted to be left alone. He loved his view of the Sea of Galilee. He loved being in the forest with the other trees. And he just wanted to be all by himself, grow up in the forest, and just, just be a tree out there by himself. Well, one day the woodcutters came, and uh, they came to that first little tree that wanted to be a big ship. And they began to cut that tree down. But as they were cutting the tree down, you know what? They began talking about what they were going to make him into. And instead of being a big ship, they were going to make him into a crude little fishing vessel. I mean, that little tree's heart was broken. That's not what he wanted to be for himself. He wanted to be a big ship that sailed the seven seas. But instead, they just made him to a crude little fishing vessel. The next day, the woodcutters come back, and they come up to that tree and start cutting the tree down that wanted to be a big throne. And they begin to cut him down. And they begin talking about what he was going to be made into. And that tree, whose heart's desire was to be a throne that a king would sit on, they were going to make him into a, a humble little feeding trough for animals. And oh man, his heart was broken. That is not what he wanted to be. 
And then, you know what? Uh, the third day came, and, and that tree that was wanted to be left alone, man, the woodcutters came to his base and began chopping on him. And, oh, man, he was so heartbroken. That is not what he wanted. He just wanted to be left alone in the forest and no one bother him. I mean, it was just a tree uh, uh, for, for that matter. Why are they cutting him down? And then he really began to uh, be disappointed when they began talking about what he was going to be made into. And they were going to make him into a, an instrument of death into an old rugged cross. And here were these three trees, had dreams for themselves, and you know what, their dreams weren't reality. But then you know what, they come to find out that that ship, that, uh, that, well, that tree that wanted to be a big ship that was made to a crude fishing vessel, he wasn't just any fishing vessel, he belonged to a man named Simon Peter. And one day when uh, he was out on the Sea of Galilee, a man came up and, and uh, got into the boat and launched a little into the deep a little bit, and lo and behold, it was Jesus Christ who stood in the bow of that little ship. And he got to be the ship that Jesus stood in and preached out to the multitudes. And then he got to be that little ship that almost sunk because of the multitude of fishes that the miracle Jesus caused to come into him. By the way, he's pretty happy then when he got understood what he was being used for. And that little tree that wanted to be the throne and uh, instead was made into a crude little feeding trough. Well, lo and behold, he was that little feeding trough that Jesus Christ was born in and laid in a manger. And boy, oh boy, how happy he was to be able to cradle the very Son of God. The very one that made him, he was now uh, was able to, he was laid into him. How, how wonderful. And of course, that tree that was made into an old rugged cross. Oh boy, man, for so long, his heart was just broken until he come to find out that it happened to be the cross that Jesus Christ was crucified on. And the very cross that is now the symbol of, of Christianity, the very symbol that symbolizes the sacrifice that Christ made for us, was the cross that uh, uh, He was nailed to. And you know what this cute little story, cute little parable, I guess you could say, represents? It represents every single one of us. Because you know what? We all have our dreams. We all have what we think we want. And you know what? They may not even be necessarily sinful, but are they what God wants? Amen? Let me tell you, you know, uh, um, church, you know what we need to do? We just need to give God our dreams. Amen? I'm going to tell you, you give God your dreams, you'll never regret it. I can promise you that. So, as a, uh, as a wise man, all right, we want to be wise, not unwise. But you know what unwise men do? They don't give anything to God. They hold it for themselves. They do like what that, uh, that, that, that wicked, slothful servant did in the parable there in Matthew chapter 25. They take their talent and they hide it in the earth. By the way, you know what your talent hid in the earth will do? Nothing. You know what our lives hid in this earth will do? Nothing. Amen? Listen, give it to the king. Amen? Give it to the king. So this year... At Christmas time, as we learned about these uh, Bible characters, and as we kind of close out our, our 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 messages on these things, hey, let's close out with this thought: Let's not be unwise, Amen. Let's not be unwise. Let's make sure that we study and know the Word of God. Let's make sure that we worship Christ. Let's make sure that we give the things to Him, Amen. That He wants from us. That I promise you, if we do. We'll never, ever regret. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you so much.